Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast episode number 82. The way that people move differently on, say, a graph, like I don't actually have a graph, but mm. you imagine a graph where I will be like measuring the magnitude and the acceleration, like the geometry of how people move their hips. And this sounds ridiculous, right? But so many people resonated with it because so many people that learn dance are come from that kind of background, just kind of engineering background. Mm-hmm. So I would notice that when I took deconstructing Zook to different cities where there are more engineers <laughs> versus where there are less engineers. The cities that have more engineers, like say San Francisco, they would give amazing feedback. the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast coming at you with another weekly episode. And I'm glad that I have a buddy here on the line. I've seen I bumped into a couple of times throughout different congresses, but it's good to sit down and finally get a chance to kind of hear your story and your perspective on dance and things like that. I've definitely been closer to Devin, who is your dance partner. Um, but Devin is always raving about, oh, Jerry, this and oh, Jerry, that. And I'm like, OK, sounds like I need to interview this Jerry guy. And lo and behold, we have you here. Thank you. This is the first time I've been doing this. I've ever done this. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Um, so how have you been doing? I know like right now it is the 16th of September and it's a little smoky over there in California. Yeah. Well, I live in Santa Monica, which is right by the beach, so I don't really get affected by the smoke that much. But mm-hmm. as soon as I drive like 10 minutes in, the AQ mm. up in the hundreds. So I'm lucky that I get shielded by by this weather system here, but mm-hmm. been horrible. Devin's just dodging the smoke moving yeah. place to place. Yeah, it's crazy. And this is the same fire, if I understand correctly, that was started by the gender reveal. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I think all the fires are congregating and becoming like a whole new water system. Apparently, mm. it's New York by now. <laughs> so that's crazy. <laughs> very, very crazy. Well, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day, brother, to come and sit and chat with me. For people on the podcast right now who may be listening and haven't heard of you before, can you give a snapshot of what your dance life looked like before COVID? Um, And then I guess a snapshot post-COVID. So before COVID, um, 
My story is kind of interesting. I, I was actually a full-time architect um, mm-hmm. about two and a half years ago in New York. And because of a visa issue after I got married, I could not work as an architect officially. Uh, so I started uh, taking privates and in New York, I had uh, quite a bit of students and I, it wasn't my intention to become a dance teacher teacher. Mm-hmm. It just kind of happened. <laughs> um, and I started getting more privates and it became a thing where I was uh, making enough money to get by. Um, mm-hmm. And then I started doing my own thing. I actually started with weekenders. Um, I just decided to host a weekender by myself. And this uh, was the deconstructing Zook? No, this is actually before deconstructing Zook. I remember it being called Grounded Connection or something, but this is a precursor to deconstructing Zook. Nice. But deconstructing Zook is what I'm known for uh, nowadays. And it's been a while, but it's been like about two years since I did the first one. Mm-hmm. I started, most people, I think, start teaching locally. Mm-hmm. I never did that. I kind of started teaching weekenders, which is... So lucky. <laughs> I really have to be kind of proud and also humbled by that moment where I got invited to start teaching weekenders without even having any um, local gigs mm. or Congress gigs. So that was my entire dance life. Honestly, the last two years, I've just been traveling around the world teaching this one weekender, which came out as a fluke. <laughs> I just decided to do it one day and I did it in three days along with my then partner, Celeste. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then that just kind of took off and we were booked for much more events uh, in March to all the way to September to now. Mm-hmm, for sure. That was like the peak. I think that was the busiest that I would have been, but you know, COVID stopped everything. Um, I decided to cancel my weekender, I think the first or second week of March mm-hmm. in Portland um, out of the safety of um, myself and my fr- friends and the community uh, in Portland. And, that, and then right after that weekend, everything mm-hmm. got <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy to consider, like, I know sometimes we're in our own perspect, uh, perspective of our individual dance scenes, you know, but like this is really affecting every single dance style, solo partner dancing and more, you know? So it's just crazy that a lot of things, you just can't have gatherings of people anymore. So no comedy shows, no sports events, um, just all kinds of crazy stuff. And I know that they're doing the NBA now in the bubble and they're doing, they did the US Open not too long ago, which was also a bubble where they had to like, keep this control and you couldn't leave and all that kind of stuff. But I wonder if that's going to be the new normal and how long that'll last before we can go back to like the way things were before, you know? Well, it's definitely going to last longer here in the U S Congress is now not sure if that's a good idea, but that's what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if we can't even be in the same room without touching one another, then to put ourselves in the same room and then this mass touching one another, you know, like if you would think of the analogy of like if one person had glitter 
at a Zook social or kid social, <laughs> that glitter would be everywhere, you know? So it's crazy, but I guess we'll see. But um, I definitely had to cancel all of my gigs and my festival and everything. And it's just, it's just on hold. And now we're getting close to the end of 2020 and there's not even a light at the end of the tunnel for the events for next year yet. So nope, we'll see how it goes. Um, have you been doing any online teaching? I think I saw something that you that caught my eye on social media that you did with uh, Jessica Cutler, who is a uh, Tangera out of Denver. Um, yeah, so it's, that caught uh, my eye. Jessica Cutler from Denver, who's a dear friend of mine and a great body worker and amazing tango teacher and 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 dancer. Uh, I also worked with Cassie Collins of LA. Uh, she's mm-hmm. a dancer here, and she's um, a nutritionist and also a, um, a physical trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that was the deconstructing Zook online. Um, that was basically me trying to consolidate all my research for the last two years of teaching um, privates and trying to put it online. Um, I did that back in May, but I haven't done anything since. Hmm. It was quite, it was quite an interesting um, um, little project, but I just feel like everything's burning and I don't want to put out more, more like, classes yeah it's like that one uh, meme where it shows like a city on fire and then like under the meme it's like that one actor is like hey anybody want to buy my dance tutorials yeah, yeah she you know? posted it on instagram <laughs> recently on her page uh-huh so i i can definitely relate to that some people ask me like why don't you do neil case festival online i'm like do people do, do people want that are people surviving are people depressed are people practicing? Are people finding practice partners? I guess I don't know what the post is out there or if there's enough people to like even garner enough interest, you know? And then of course yeah. teaching online has its own challenges as well. I honestly I, I really loved the experience of teaching online because it, it really consolidated a lot of my different um not expertise, but like my interest in mm-hmm. like nerdiness in photography, lighting, like audio design, like like I learned Premiere in like mm. just to be able to edit the videos, but I've, I've been an architect like professionally. So I was really good at learning all these programs. It was like more about that. But then the, with the way that I teach, uh, it's it, people call me like a nerd. Like it's really, really nerdy. It's mm-hmm. like, like an engineering class. Uh, so I don't think that really fits in with the whole COVID thing. <laughs> mm. Get in your mind more, be more neurotic, like yeah. your brain more. I feel like the classes where it gets people out of their seats and out of their like positions of you know working at home mm. and moving and flowing, those kind of classes work better in this kind of time. And I don't know how to teach that way. So mm. that's my struggle. I'm trying to learn, but... Yeah, I'm curious to hear more about the the dance brain and the dance nerdiness because that definitely is something that I can relate to as well. Um, and I also know that you've been doing a little bit of DJing. I've caught a couple of your live sets for DJing here during this time as well, yeah? Yeah, I think that's probably the only thing that's keeping me from going insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the only thing where I feel like I can belong in this community, you know? Mm. Uh, seeing little like boxes of your friends enjoying or even like dancing 
yeah, that for really sure. make the, the day of the DJs. When when your friends are dancing, when you're inspired, mm-hmm. you know, it's great. For sure. That seems to be the the theme with the kids scene as well. It's like a lot of DJs seem to be going live and they'll have their questions. They haven't done any Zoom stuff on the kids side that I've noticed outside of uh, like a, an actual paid event. But I know sometimes the Zoom is cool because you can like turn on the cameras and see who you're playing for and how they're dancing and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, there's a very big difference in... It's like the same difference between pre-recorded classes and live Zoom classes. Mm. Live Zoom classes where you can't really see your students, but at least you feel like they're there with you. Mm-hmm. An energetic exchange. Uh, and you really need this as a DJ as well. That's really the definition of a DJ. You're not just playing a playlist that's pre-recorded or preset. Some some sure. do that and they do it very well. But most would agree that DJs would need to play for our crowd and mm-hmm. you don't have crowd, you, you just play for, <laughs> for sure all right brother um let's go ahead and i guess dive into the beginning of your dance journey you said before towards the beginning of the podcast that you were an architect in, in new york and that didn't work out and you started teaching privacy um, so uh, I'm assuming this was all for Zook. Was Zook your first partner dance? Did you dance anything else when you were younger? Actually, I tried a lot of different things before Zook. Um, I've had about, I believe, six years of dance ex- experience before I even saw Zook. So mm-hmm. before I did Zook, I did... Um, the first thing I did was belly dancing. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> this is not something I tell people, but <laughs> I think I was a freshman in, in college. I went to University of British Columbia. I'm Canadian. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I grew up in Vancouver and uh, University of Billion Chinese, which is what you believe. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of just walked into this belly dancing class. I had no idea what belly dancing class or belly dancing was. Mm-hmm. And, it was one, and I was like, oh, it's all female. Great. <laughs> and I tried it and I was like, I thought I was like pretty decent. I felt good about myself. And then you I have started like an undercover YouTube channel for your belly dancing <laughs> tutorials. No. <laughs> no, I do not. Um, but that, I don't think even my partner knows this, but that was my first dance ever. Because <laughs> mm. this gives so. a whole new context to the term your hips don't lie. <laughs> it's true it's a whole circle you know <laughs> uh, for those that don't know hips don't lie is my dj uh podcast name not podcast my dj uh uh set name mm-hmm. nice <laughs> so uh i walked into that class and i got out of it. i was like well, that was pretty fun because i movement has never been part of my life movement mm-hmm. is I think for most Asians, movement is like badminton. <laughs> DDR for dance, right? DDR, uh, yes. I remember playing that game. Uh, karaoke is much more popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so I did that and I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And then I kind of looked around like my college for different dance events and I came across ballroom. Mm-hmm. Ballroom was pretty big in in uh british columbia um so i tried that um it was great because i was a mechanical engineer mm-hmm. and there was literally like 
no girls in my class. It was like six girls out of a hundred. I think times have changed now, but there was literally six girls. So I was like, what a better, where's a better way to meet women? (laughs) For sure. You know, you're 20 years old. You're like, yeah, this is, this is how you help engineers meet women. (laughs) And like that side of me where I was like, I'm doing this to meet women went away so fast when I Mm. heard like, Oh my God, my hips, they don't lie. (laughs) (laughs) So I gravitated towards Latin ballroom, which is Mm. where you get to use your hips. Exactly. Uh, The ballroom is standard, which is like very posh and like upright and rigid. (laughs) Um, And you had to keep your foot straight and stuff. And I was like, I can't do that. My foot are really externally rotated. So it was Mm. not a good dance for me. I got into that for six years and I made it all the six way. Six years of ballroom. Wow. Yeah. And that's how, actually how I met my wife. I continued it after um, college uh, when I went to Cornell University and I joined a ballroom club there. Um, yeah, that's how I met my wife um, like eight years ago. <laughs> nice. So you've been married eight years or? No, 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 no. no. Just like two, two, three years, depending on who you ask. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We we had two married two married like one ceremony one official and like one. Mm, yeah. I got you. Yeah. Dope. So, with the ballroom, uh, did you do any competitions or anything? That I know that the the competitive ballroom is a thing. Yeah. I mean, honestly, my my journey in Zook, I think, is probably like not a rejection, but. Uh, <laughs> A trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, ballroom was all about competition. Mm-hmm. It really, nobody has ever asked me how I felt. <laughs> no, but I, I, I think about this now. Nobody has ever asked me how I felt. They only critique me on how I look mm-hmm. and how somebody else looks and how their lines are. It's all competition. It's all for others. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. like when you actually dance, it's for you too. But mm-hmm. it it's very it's how you look. <laughs> Not how you sure. Yeah. And social dancing, on the other hand, is a completely different world. Like people don't understand when people do ballroom, they stick with one partner. And they usually can only dance with that one partner. Mm. During competitions and and you you get all this like glitzy dresses and like tuxedos and then you go and dance in a high school gymnasium gymnasium <laughs> gymnasium and then you dance for like ten minutes if you don't make it out of the first round <laughs> or if you make it to the finals you dance for like thirty minutes but you travel like ten hours. And you only dance for 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have these like social events where it's like, it's like for, for fun, where you actually switch partners. But not many people at, in collegiate ballroom actually know how to dance with anybody else because they're mm. just training with their partner. So Makes that sense. was a big shock when I, when I came into social dancing. Um, so was Zook your first social dance that you were exposed to? No, I did. I was in New York, right? So I was exposed to salsa, uh, West Coast swing, bachata. I tried all of them. I actually learned salsa from a world famous instructor. I didn't know it at the time, but Freddie Freddie Martinez. Yes, like, yes, he's, yes. He's famous, right? He's mm-hmm. his classes were amazing, but I just could not do it. 
I don't know. <laughs> it's not in me. I, I could not relate to the music. Mm. I tried to learn on one and on two at the same time, which is a bad <laughs> idea. <laughs> um, and I could not make it even one song through a social. I think mm. it, ballroom really, really took that this improvisation out of the equation. Yeah, I can imagine for sure. Yeah. It's everything is choreographed. There's no, it doesn't matter what music is playing. You just mm -hmm. know, okay, this is cha-cha. So we're going to do our cha-cha routine. This is jive. We're going to do our jive routine. Interesting. It, it has nothing to do with the music. Unless you get to a really, really high level. All, all of these things are my experience, but obviously at the high levels, it's, mm -hmm. it's much more nuanced. I got you. So yeah. when did you first get exposed to, to Zook? And I'm also <laughs> curious to see how that affected your, I guess, perceptions of improvisation for sure. Oh yeah, it's it's a huge thing because it's funny now that I did ballroom because I I don't know how to do choreography. <laughs> mm. I've tried. Uh, I tried to choreograph in like cooking or mm -hmm. in my daily life. I can't. I just I just can't. I, I'm much better at improvisation. Um, my first dance after ballroom was. Uh, I tried to do West Coast Swing for a while as well. Um, I kind of liked it, but it didn't feel, it, it wasn't exciting. You know, I, mm. I didn't like look forward to it. Um, when I saw Zook, um, which is how I saw Zook was when uh, one of my ex-partners um, um, took me uh, mm -hmm. to, she just said, Hey, you want to, you want to check out Zook? And then I was just like, yeah, sure. Cause I'm always like this. I'm always like, I'm, I'm always yes, man. I'm just like, whatever I will try sure. it. I'll try anything once. And I'm so glad I'm like that because this is how I discovered all my favorite hobbies in the world. Like, mm. so I just showed up and then it's Jessica and Henry teaching. I think this is 2015. I think maybe summer in June. Uh, in New York, and I was just mesmerized. <laughs> I mean, who is, wouldn't be mesmerized by, by Jessica and Henry? But Jessica came from a ballroom background, so mm -hmm. there was a lot of language and flair that I really associated with. So I just kind of took it as, oh, it's just ballroom. So I would be in the corner thinking to myself, oh, I got this moving my hips like, like super exaggerated <laughs> <laughs> and then people and then, the, and then people would laugh at me and then I would have smacked myself if I saw myself in the class. <laughs> but that was how, how I got exposed to Zook and I just never stopped. I went to my first social, uh, a guy called Tierso uh, who lives in San, San Diego now taught me mm -hmm. my first steps. I still remember where in a room that was in a club in Solas in the dark corner. I learned my first doom chick chick mm -hmm. and then never stopped. I, I think the longest I've gone without dancing Zook was two months. Mm. Well, except for COVID, but two months when I injured my neck, when I tried to follow, to follow. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. So you're taking, did you take classes with Jessica and Henry? Yeah, I took Jessica and Henry, but my main influence in New York was Alini Cleto. Uh, she was my main, mm -hmm. she, she started a whole team and, um, back then it was Charles and Alini. So it was like what they call it is urban Zook. 
They're uh, the ones that did that that um that show where they're like in a bedroom and she's like in a t-shirt and yeah, she's yeah, yeah. with no no shirt on. I remember seeing that YouTube video. Yeah, they 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 they're very good at going viral. They, they mm. did a lot in bringing Zook to the masses. Yeah, it's great. They're infusing hip hop and elements and and business. Mm. So it was great. Um, that there was, was an event that was scheduled for April this year that was focused around Urban Zook, right? Or something like that. Oh yeah, the Yo Zook Festival. In mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah, that that was Charles. That was Charles. Okay, nice. Okay, so that that makes sense. Bringing it back full circle. So, yeah. coming from your ballroom background, getting into Zook, and you mentioned before, like how the improvisation really wasn't a part of your, I guess, mindset at that time. So, how did that go from like having all of these dances choreographed in ballroom and having these routines? to now learning the language of how to, how to speak to your partner in real time with improv. How did that transition go? Mm. So in ballroom, when we, whenever we finish a competition, all the couples get together and we get basically have our coaches give us routines for our next set of competitions. Mm. So it's a lot of it is, because we can't really afford that many private lessons. So what the, the coaching ends up being is just the routine. Mm. So there's not so much time for like really deep technical um, breakdowns. And because I learned to dance that way, I gravitated towards showiness in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So you'll see like videos of me. I, I cringe when I watch them now where I'm just trying a whole bunch of shit. Like in my first year, I did much more complicated stuff that I would do even like nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, it's out of control. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, it, it, it's just a lot of moves strung together that I would just repeat. Right. So that's choreography. And then when I started doing Zook more, when I started taking more classes, I took interest in sort of the smaller and smaller details. <laughs> you understand how you when we learn a dance, we start with the grand picture. We just need to look like we're dancing Zook. Exactly. And the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know stuff. <laughs> the more you For realize sure. there's so much out there. There's so much nuance. Okay, you need to breathe, but you need to breathe like this. You need to use your diaphragm <laughs> like this. Mm-hmm. And you can breathe only have your chest. There's so much details. So then I sort of gravitated towards that kind of detail. And, and I became much more interested in that. And from that, I realized that partner dance is not so much like what the lead directs the follow to do. Um, It became more like a collaboration or a co-creation between the lead and follow. Mm. Then I started researching and I found that there's this whole movement called share leading um, where you sort of take turns leading each other. And I sort of took that and adapted it to my way of thinking where there are some parts where the lead is inviting the follow to follow. But then as soon as the follow follows, it depends on who the follow is, right? Sometimes they might go faster. Sometimes they might go slower. Sometimes they might add their own flair. And you have to follow that as a lead. Mm. So it becomes this series of co-creation. Uh, and that, that kind of 
led me to my um, sort of all these theories about deconstructing Zook. Um, I, I, Devin and I started to think of everything as gradients. And so these gradients would inform every style that we talk about. So when people ask me, oh, what's your favorite style? I, I, I answer like, it's, I love them all because they're all part of these gradients. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way we like to teach. We like to teach not sort of specific recipes for movement, but how you can come up with these recipes by yourself, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. Nice. So you're taking these classes, you're getting more fascinated by Zook and I guess you're taking it more seriously. You're starting to realize all of the nuances and things like that. Um, when did the, I guess, teaching opportunities start to come up or was these constructing Zook born in New York? Cause I know you're on the West coast now. So. Yeah. So I moved to the West coast about two years ago. So yes, the constructing Zook was born in, in New York and it was, I didn't have, like I said, I didn't do any local classes. I didn't really teach at all before I did my first weekender. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like, I think there was like six people signed up. We literally dropped a class on Wednesday and the class was on Saturday. So there's not many mm. time to like start, you know, so I uh, started to sign up and I had six people sign up. So I booked a room for like 12 people mm-hmm. and freaking 26 people showed up. <laughs> oh, wow. So that sort of blew my mind. And then I started getting privates after that when i look at the picture the group picture that i have from that first weekend that i held mm-hmm. half of the students were my sure half of the students became my private students nice and then from now those the experience that i gained i sometimes i feel bad because i feel like i definitely learned more than they did mm-hmm. <laughs> in, those, in the first privates i've taught from from the experience of teaching those privates i one of the things i i did uh, which was inspired by my wife, actually, who was a doctor. She would come home really late, like 7, 8 p.m., and she would have to write all these notes for her patients of the day. So she would mm. see like 10 patients a day, and she would have that time to write down the notes because this is what you do as a doctor. And I was like, why don't I do that as a teacher? So I started doing that. I, from my very first student, I started taking notes on them. It's, it's for them. But it became, eventually it became for me. It, mm. it was a really good like addition that I could provide, that value that I could provide, where I would send notes to my students right after the class. And it tracks their progress. It keeps them accountable. And it really, in the end, it really helped me develop my pedagogy. So mm. I started noticing what I would be teaching. And then I read through all the notes and came up with Deconstructing Zook as a weekender. So let's go back to that first workshop a little bit. So you had 26 people show up. Was it just a flyer that you used to promote? Had these people heard about you before? Had they seen you out in classes already? Yeah, like, these are all like local uh, students. So I, because I, I show up quite a lot to community events, like uh, weekly socials, um, I guess I became known for improving quite fast um, mm. for a little experience I've had. And I didn't know it back then, but people were attracted to the way I dance. 
not, I'm not sure if they're attracted to the technique back then or just my personality, because I think that's part of it because mm -hmm. I really don't give a shit when I dance. It's kind of like, I'm very me for lack of better word. Uh, I'm very unfiltered and I'm very expressive when I dance. I really feel like, like that was the thing that attracted them to me. But then because of that, it helped me develop my technique more of mm -hmm. both pedagogically uh, and, and embodiment. Yeah. What was the question? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just trying to figure out like how the students knew about you and has said, hey, why, why did the students decide to take a workshop oh, with you? I, honestly, I still have no idea of why people take classes. <laughs> <laughs> I have some serious imposter syndrome because like think about it, I'm freaking Asian Canadian, mm -hmm. Taiwanese Canadian, and I'm trying to teach a Brazilian dance. Like, mm -hmm. what am I like? Why? <laughs> you can, you can imagine how disappointed my parents are. <laughs> <laughs> At least I I'm a doctor. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, is this the the creation of deconstructing Zook? Is that where the dance nerd started to, I guess, grow roots and you started to, I guess, embody that persona a little bit more? Yeah, I I think part of the reason I did this is because I, I got kind of frustrated when I took classes where um, from different teachers mm -hmm. and they're all amazing dancers, but they would they wouldn't take each other's classes. So they would disagree with each other, like mm. one class after the other, like directly contradict each other. And then people will get really confused. Like, wait, but she just said this and she just said this. So which one's correct? Because there's not so much of a, the growth of Zook was very fusion-y. Like it kind of like bits and pieces came together and it, it was not like, it was grown in a studio, but mm -hmm. it kind of took light in different countries. So there's definitely regionalism, which for sure that super fascinates me. I'm sure that that happens in Kazumba as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's regionalism that every dance style takes root in different regions. And when you go to different cities in in Brazil, you would have experienced very different types of Brazilian zouk. And so part of the, the creation of deconstructing Zook is for me to look at all of these through a different lens where I'm just looking at anatomical or geometrical or, or like physics mm. of how they move because I was an engineer. I was an architect. That's the only way I know how to interpret dance because I don't have that culture. I wasn't born in that culture. For sure. So imagine an engineer trying to look at how a Brazilian moves your hips. I'm going like, hmm, okay, so there's extension here. Uh, okay, there's, okay, they move back at this moment and then drawing diagrams and showing like mm. exactly what they're doing. And then because I was able to analyze it in that particular way, I was able to also plot the way that people move differently on, say, a graph. Like, I don't actually have a graph, but mm. if you imagine a graph where, um, I, I will be like measuring the magnitude and the velocity and the acceleration, like the geometry of how people move their hips. And this sounds ridiculous, right? But 
so many people resonated with it because so many people that learn dance are come from that kind of background, just kind of engineering background. Mm-hmm. So I would notice that when I took deconstructing Zook to different cities where there are more engineers <laughs> versus where are there less engineers, the cities that have more engineers, like say San Francisco, they would give amazing feedback. Mm. And the cities that don't have engineers, maybe I, my teaching wouldn't shine so much because mm. I'm weaker in other parts of teaching, which is like, sure. uh, flowing through everything. So that became my niche. Um, I kind of embraced that full heartedly. Um, nowadays, I think I embrace it like too much. And now I need mm. to go back and actually like um, teaching dance, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, like understanding how the body movement works. And then uh, obviously, like, that's very uh, logical and, and rational and things like that. But then, like you said before, when you're talking about the ballroom, it's like you are also dancing because you feel certain things, you know. So now how do you incorporate that logical knowledge into I guess, emotional movement. And even looking at the the document that you said, like the different songs inspire different types of way to move, you know? Yeah. It makes sense that um, you said before, like if there's not as many engineers, your teaching wouldn't hit as much. But like, I feel like for me, my brain goes through a logical process first. And then after I understand that, then it's like, okay, now how do I want to interpret the the feeling of this song that I'm listening ah, I see, to. I see. Yeah. So this is this was the advantage that I held, right? Because I was because of the fact that I was not born into this dance, because I mm-hmm. was always an outsider. I had to interpret the dance in this way because this is how I understand the dance. But this is also because we're in North America where this dance is not culturally like it's I said, not native. Mm-hmm. Like it's not native. So so a lot of people learn this way and a lot of people gravitate towards this kind of teaching. And now I've noticed that a lot of people teach this way now. And I'm very, mm-hmm. very happy about that. Um, but before people sort of sort of like just move your hips, just feel it, you know, this, mm-hmm. like, there's this emotional cultural aspect and sort of defensiveness about like your culture and why you you don't you don't move closer. Like, why can't you guys dance closer? Why can't you touch your hips? Like that kind of teaching um, maybe does not resonate as, as, as much with uh, say engineers or like exactly uh, people that did not grow up with movement in their culture. Like mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. Nice. So you taught your first deconstructing zoo class in New York and you got some pretty good feedback. You said half the students signed up for private lessons, which is all awesome. And I guess, were you still about to be an architect at that particular moment? Yeah, I was, the, the I, I was an architect back then. I, mm-hmm. I, I was, so my, f- a little correction, like my first event was Grounded Connection. I didn't call it Deconstruction Music. I didn't know what it was. It was, I gotcha. um, but from there, that was a root of it because from that little event, I started thinking about the dance sort of in anatomical groups. Mm. Um, what I mean is I started with groundedness. Like for example, my first hour would be groundedness. Second hour would be hips. Third hour would be torso or torsion. And then fourth hour would be frame. So that, that framework kind of came from that first weekender. And then my, my good friends, Gigi and Nat, Nat and Gigi uh, from Austin invited me to teach that 
in Austin. And they, and they actually came up with the name. I did not come up with it. I did really? not come up with it. They were the ones that came up with it. Nice. Yeah, they, they, they're the ones that came up with it. So I give them full credit and I gave them full credit for sort of jumpstarting my career because mm. that first class went really well as well. Um, I, what year was that? That you taught in Austin. Do you remember? I think it was two years ago, like March. Hmm. I got you. And I, I, so. and I my wife, actually. I got you. Because I've been living in Austin for about four years now, but I don't remember that flyer. But maybe I was traveling somewhere or probably two years ago in March, I was in Europe or something like that. I wasn't that well known, you know, like mm. I, that was my first event. I think I became more known after that. Um, How did you meet Matt and Gigi? I met them in, uh, in New York festival, actually. Okay. First, I think it was their first suit Congress and I danced with Gigi and I, just, I was like, wow. Her <laughs> <laughs> and I was so confused. I was like, and then she told me that it was her first Congress or something or, or that she's been learning for two months. And I was like, mm. and you know, my face is always like this. Like I cannot hide my feeling. Mm. My face. So people know when I'm serious or not, or, or when, when I'm, when I mean things or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they really, so I, we became friends then, um, really good friends. then. I, I don't remember much other than that dance. <laughs> honest. I've taken a couple of classes from them here in Austin and they're, they're pretty solid instructors for they're sure. Amazing. I, <laughs> I mean, William invite William and, and uh, William invited them to teach in Madrid. In Madrid. So, mm-hmm. They're the only, I think they're the, one of the few North American instructors to have been invited internationally to teach. So for that, sure. they're definitely too timid or too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. I was talking about that a little bit um, with Jessica in my last podcast where you have people that are like really, really talented, but then really timid at the same time. And then you have people that aren't very talented, but uh, not, or I guess not timid at all. So they don't go back to promote and market themselves and things like that. And it's interesting to see how this uh, balance exists. Yeah. Because you don't want to go to where like you're getting big hated and not humble and you're arrogant and confident and you're boastful. But on the flip side of that, you don't want to be like too timid to where like now you're like holding back your punches. Yeah, and like that's that, you know? a hard line to draw. It is hard for sure. But I think Rial and Jessica, they are the most humble and the mm-hmm. least egotistical people I've ever met, like in any dancing. Well, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's other people like them, but they, I think what I look for in an instructor is whether they are generous mm. or, and generosity is pretty easy to measure. Like you can just see how much they, time they spent outside of, you know, monetary gains mm. outside of their private classes, outside their classes, interacting with people and just making everyone's lives better. For they sure. always stay until like 6am dancing with every single person. And no matter where you are, they, they make everyone feel so welcome. And we're so lucky to have them. Mm. I, I look up to them very much. Yes. Yeah. It was really awesome to get to hear Jessica's story. She, that was the podcast that I released uh, this week. Um, but yeah, she has a very nice background and I've known her for a few years. And so it was cool to kind of pick her brain a little bit. Yeah. So you taught your first workshop in New York. You taught one in Austin. And I guess things started to pick up after that. 
Yeah. And then I got invited to, I don't remember what my second event is. I'm sorry, but I, I went okay. to Krakow, like all the way to Poland. <laughs> so Really? I, yeah. Uh, and I had like 30 students there and then it just kept growing. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I kept teaching the same things, but I would do different things. I would sort of improve upon the previous class. For sure all the time and I would try to cater it to like the the community that I'm teaching it in. I would try to like dance with them the, the night before mm -hmm. um, just to see if there's particular strengths or weaknesses uh, and sort of incorporate that into the next morning's class. Um, it was a struggle, but that was what I tried to do. For sure. <laughs> and today I've danced, I, I did like 11 or 12 weekenders already all around the world. Yeah. And then in the last, I think the last one, I last two I did was with Devin. Mm, um, for sure. Yeah. Cause that, it's the first time um, that we taught that material together. Mm -hmm. So how did it, how did your life go from architect to dance instructor? Well, so I honestly, I, I really liked architecture um, as a field. Um, as a career, not so much because it, it was really draining and I hated sitting at my desk. Mm. All day. I, I'm somebody that loves to move around. Anybody that have seen me in a social, they might think I have ADD or like <laughs> active. I'm just always moving and I can dance for like eight hours in a row. So imagine nobody can imagine me sitting at a desk for like it was like 10, 12 hours back then. Mm, I was working for some very, very intense firms uh, doing all sorts of projects and it was very demanding um, and the pay wasn't really worth the like, master mm. degree, the, the amount of schooling I had to do for it. Um, so when I got married, I got, um, I had a, um, I had to wait for a, a like a, work permit. Mm -hmm. and so during then I could not do anything. I could only develop my dance. So mm -hmm. that's what I did. I just developed my weekender. And then when I kept moving, I just, it, it you know, dance kind of interrupts the, the, the nine to five, like exactly Monday, for sure. You know, you're an entrepreneur, you know, um, but it wasn't nine to five. If it was nine to five, I could probably handle it, but mm. it was like nine to nine. Mm. Nowadays, I'm thinking about it again because, you know, <laughs> COVID. Exactly. And in California, where, where the firms are much more, you know, they respect life work balance a lot more. Mm -hmm. So I might get back to it. I don't know. I, I, you. I have confidence in myself that I can, whatever I put my heart into, I could actually do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm only out of it for like a year and a half. So for sure. And what uh, sparked the move to the West coast? Uh, I'm honestly, I'm just house husbanding right now. And I'm just following my wife cause she's mm. an ophthalmologist and let's face it. She's going to make more money than I will ever make. So, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so I'm just following her and her, you know, doctors, when they apply for residency, they have no idea where they're going. Like they just pick their first, second, third, fourth choice. And then they just, they get picked by the schools. And then that's a contract. You have to mm. move there. 
So yeah, a lot of people have to move around and I'm moving again. I and I don't know where I'm moving. So next July, I'm going to move again for her fellowship, but it's the last year. So we'll see. <laughs> I gotcha. So I guess the move to the West coast is what uh, brought you to meet Devin. Yeah. So I met Devin actually in, in New York in another social. And I remember just going, like I was dancing with her and my eyes were just like, super large and I've mm-hmm. seen her online, but I've never danced with her. I was dancing with her and I was like, who are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do this a lot. <laughs> so I, I also remember exactly where in a room I danced with her. We actually disagree on this, <laughs> but I just remember being shocked at her flow and her technique and her position. And mm-hmm. When it when I moved to LA, it just made sense because we loved dancing with each other, and we were kind of at the same place with our like career. Like we're both just out, um, and it just happened there. <laughs> but now she's not here anymore because she moved away because we started traveling so much that it didn't make sense for her to keep rent. Hmm. So now because of that and then COVID hit, now she's with her mother in Norfolk, uh, California. So yeah, I think she told me it was like 11 hours. No, 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 it's I mean, eight hours. Eight hours drive, yeah. Yeah, but it's a rough drive. Mm, I got you. <laughs> so how has she contributed to deconstructing Zook? And you said the last two, you got you two talk together. I'm curious how that went with like you guys dancing together and then deciding to do gigs together into like now letting her into your pedagogy. How did that process go? Yeah, that this is this is always a hard thing, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody has a established pedagogy and you now have a new partner and then you need to teach it together. So Mm -hmm. the first few didn't go as well because I still didn't really know how to Mm co-teach. Like I, there's this like, I I didn't know when to use a word mine and when to use Mm -hmm. a word ours. You know, like these things things are very important. They're minor details, but they're very important details in how your partners would, would feel. Right. So I got feedback even before Devin that I, I need to learn how to co-teach more because I tend to just talk, talk over them. Um, and I'm such a feminist, so I should not be doing this. <laughs> I just, it's more like I get so excited about the about information teaching. that I, I just can't stop sharing, you know, exactly. And she, I guess she had to like put up with me for a while, but then eventually uh, we started training the things within deconstructing Zook um, that she contributed a, a ton into. Like, for example, mm-hmm. our frame class and uh, a lot of the analogies that we use for a frame and how we touch and um, a lot of the follow eccentric, uh, follow centric stuff. She's now developed into efficient follow. Mm-hmm. Um, is now basically like her own brand. So it's almost like we're, 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 we're Devin and Jerry, but we, I'm deconstructing Zook and she's, if you follow. so it's like a sub brand in within our partnership. And I think that's great, especially for like a time like now where it's kind of like everyone's yeah, so like far away kind of doing their own thing for sure. 
Yeah. So she contributed because she learned in a very strict way. So she had a lot of like, like uh, a very standardized like patterns and mm-hmm. routines that, that she learned um, um, from like a school. Mm-hmm. And I learned from like everybody. I didn't for really sure. learn like, yeah, I, I didn't learn in a very formal way. I kind of, I think my strength was in synthesizing. So I was really good at synthesizing different information. So I was able to take from different instructors who on the surface seem like they're contradicting each other, but I see them on the same page. So I was able to give her this and she was give, able to give me basics and patterns. Mm, I didn't sure. know how to break the rules, but I didn't know how, what the rules were. I only knew that I was breaking the rules because she told me that I was breaking the rules. So she was this like, (laughs) she's like, this is the law and this is how you break the law. And this is why it's interesting. (laughs) So that, that sort of interaction made our partnership much stronger. I think. Definitely. No, that's awesome. I've seen some of your videos together and they look really, really awesome. And you guys are, height matched because Devin is taller than your yeah. average follow for sure. She doesn't um, duck when she spins anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's really awesome to hear that she contributed to the follows person because uh, definitely like with me, most of my career I've taught by myself. And yeah. now when I collab with like someone who has like, it doesn't even matter like their experience level, but even closer to my experience level, I, I really try to like make it a shared teaching experience. But if you don't think about it or you don't prepare for it, then you just go back into your old ways of doing as if you were teaching by yourself. And it's not like you're trying to intentionally not let them speak, but it's just like you just it's like when you're on your route to drive home, but you're actually going to go to the store instead of driving home and you end up going home because it's just your routine thing that you've always done. So I can relate to that for sure. Yeah. It's like, it's like with the BLM movement and then there's people who are like, Oh, I have black friends. Like mm-hmm. that's <laughs> not, that's not allyship. Like you need to actively try. You need to actively work on yourself. You actually have to work on this thing so that it, <laughs> it, 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 it's an effort. It's not just like default. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't talk over her. Like, mm-hmm. no, you really look at yourself. You have to actually ask people for feedback. Actually, what are you doing or not? And I probably still do. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. it, for sure. It, it really, really, yeah. 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 Um, the podcast I did with Devin, she told me that this would have been like the most work that you guys would have had together this year. But obviously, a lot of those things aren't happening anymore. So hopefully, we'll be able to find a way to like find some kind of normalcy in the dance, but it'll be interesting. So I know that you just moved recently. Um, now that things are starting to get settled again, do you think you're going to do something more things online or what other, I guess, future things do you, do you find that you're feeling inspired to do? So I've been taking a lot of cross training, uh, online classes. I've been very inspired by, uh, I did yoga, Pilates, like weight training, mobility training, calisthenics, uh, even mm-hmm. contemporary, like all these things I've been trying to synthesize, but it's much harder to synthesize this wide range of motion, motion mm-hmm. movement, um, modalities 
versus like taking from different Zook teachers. So that's mm. taking a little longer, but I, I'm seeing glimpses of the, the benefits of me doing cross-training and I'm sort of dropping them into deconstructing Zook. Um, but in terms of future projects, um, we are thinking about starting a website that is like subscription-based. So we have some sort of passive income where we would actually have all these videos, but not in like a whole class and more like little clips, like three minute clips. Cause I don't, I feel like that would be much more beneficial than like our long classes, especially in this kind of time. Cause I feel like exactly. a lot of people take from me just for answers to little technical details. And if I can like actually organize my thoughts to be able to answer these uh, uh, questions in with multimedia, uh, which mm. I have in. like I can make diagrams, I can make videos, I can um, show with like elastic bands, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Then that will help me sort of organize a curriculum, which I've never had to do. You know, I never had to teach beginners from like very um, the beginning, like in in a group setting, because I never had a local class. So I think that would be really interesting to develop that kind of class. Mm -hmm. um, and we're thinking of putting that on a website, but we have no timeline for it, and things are still burning. So it definitely doesn't feel like it's anywhere nor near normal. <laughs> but uh, we we all gotta we still gotta move, right? So I think for sure. It's interesting because like, I definitely relate with like things are still burning, uh, in, in the world and in our country right now. But then at the same time, it's like, I mean, we still need like groceries. We still need things to get delivered and all that kind of stuff. So I think people are really trying to like return back to normal, but I feel like sometimes when you're like stuck in your house and you're not really seeing a lot of the outside world and you're just seeing like, Oh, the world is burning. But then sometimes if you just like drive around the city, you can see like, Hey, UPS is still going. Amazon is still going. 18 wheelers are still on the freeway delivering stuff. You're like, things are still moving, but I guess you have to find a way to move um, in a way that still gets things done while you're not like, I guess putting anybody at risk. Um, obviously a lot of businesses are suffering right now, but obviously some businesses are definitely thriving. And it's interesting because I've seen some online entrepreneurs definitely adapt, but still like are doing very well. And like this one lady, Asian girl, her name is Vanessa Lau, uh, out of Vancouver. She just did a million dollar launch for this one product of a, an academy that she did. And it's like, Hey, she made, she sold uh, a, a course that was like $497 and she sold a thousand and seventy of them in the last 30 days. So it's like, I don't know. It, it challenges your mindset of like, is there money out there? Like what's going on? Do we need to pause? Do we need to push? It's, it's difficult for sure. It, it's Devin and I are actually in a very good position um, to, uh, to succeed on the online, um, uh, market. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's more like me, <laughs> that's her. Uh, but she's been doing really well. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, my course did really well as well. Like I, I've had like 80 people in mm -hmm. my, like 85 or something. Yeah. 
I think it really class. opens up the lack of like, I feel the barrier sometimes is geography. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you're teaching in Portland. Well, I live in Florida. Like I can't, I can't come to that, you know? So yeah, exactly. instead of waiting until you're closer, like you're giving people an opportunity to learn from you. And then now, like, it's not even a national thing anymore. It's like really literally anybody with the internet, that has the funds to learn from you can now pay you. So it doesn't even have to be like this either or transaction. A lot of successful companies, if you think about it, like are thriving on the subscription-based model, like Adobe moved to subscription-based. That was huge for them. Netflix is on that. Uh, Many membership sites, uh, apps that have subscriptions every year, like those, when you keep that money flowing in, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, even the DJ software, Serato is moving to like a six buck a month, uh, oh subscription based thing as well. So it's really interesting to see that movement in like the entrepreneurial world and see it starting to trickle into like the dance world, you know, it's just relying on people forgetting to cancel their free. <laughs> Honestly, that has gotten me so many times. <laughs> mm, for works. sure. Because you're like, but oh, like, dollars. Oh, whatever. Exactly. So if you're not reviewing your statement every month, it's, it's easy to forget. But at the same time, like I'm an Adobe user. I use Adobe Photoshop, Adobe Audition, Adobe Premiere, and getting the newest update automatically and just paying that subscription is fucking awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, 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 I use it too. <laughs> I'm still on a, the cheap version. So... I would like to offer a kick in the ass to Devin and Jerry to get their fish <laughs> together and get stuff online. Cause I would like to see that for sure. Like um, <clears throat> being a dance entrepreneur, it's like, you just like to see other people continue to do that. And it's just interesting because it seems like this is going to have to be the avenue for success. If there's no more dance studios to even teach it, you know, like who's, well, how many dance studios are going to be left after all this is said and done, you know? Yeah. 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 I, uh, I'm spending a lot of times, like I always go against my own, my own like, uh, theories where I was mm-hmm. like, you need to do it. it like, mm-hmm. Don't think about what you want to do. But all I've been doing is thinking about what I want to do. <laughs> like, like hundreds of pages of notes of like my theories and theorems and like what kind of classes I want to teach. But I never finish any of them. <laughs> yeah, just, for like, sure. Like theories, and it it's not a class that I can sell or or even like mm-hmm. record. I, yeah, I just need to get my act together. For yeah. sure, I can relate. I've been trying to get my membership site like revamped as well to, and like honestly, like I feel like it should have been done like maybe three months ago. Uh, if I get myself into gear, because I have the skill set, I know what I need, need to do. I just need to put it all together and start pushing the videos out, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's not an easy process sometimes to kind of like making sure that the product is good enough in your own eyes to, to push out there and, and market, you know? Yeah. yeah it's never going to be good enough. So that's the problem. It's- but you can always have like, Hey, here's Devin and Jerry 1.0. And then that starts and then like, okay, this is where we're at right now. Let's go to 2.0 or 3.0. And so on and so forth. Yeah, you know? for, the, for the first segment, I think we're just going to edit the videos that we have already so that they're digestible. Um, because 
my one hour classes turned out to be like two hour classes. I split it up into like five different videos, but still it was a lot for people. Um, especially if you're people in like in distress, like mm -hmm. who wants to take an hour class of just Jerry talking about theory, about frame, about a, our engineers. <laughs> you have your niche and yeah. the people that like the way you teach, you know? Yeah. And not everybody is in distress. Some people are definitely like chilling at home, like starting gardens in their living rooms and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. The other thing is I personally got kind of tired of online classes. Mm. It reminds me of what I don't have, you know, like mm. human touch contact, like friends in a room. Exactly. It's and definitely a transition. Yeah, that makes me want not to want to offer that, even though this mm. is my brain now. <laughs> so it's, it's tough. <laughs> it's a lot of different factors for it, for sure. Yeah. I hear you, brother. Yeah. All right, brother. So it's pretty cool to hear about the beginnings of deconstructing Zook and where you're at now. And I'm really excited that you're partners with Devin. Like, you know, I did a podcast with her as well. I've known her for a few years as well. And She's an awesome dancer and a lot of different things and amazing person for sure. Definitely. So it'll be awesome to see uh, that get off the ground whenever that happens to be, you know? So before we end the podcast, I usually end with an inspirational quote. Was there anything else like future projects you wanted to share with the listeners before we get into the inspirational quote? No, I, I think I talked about all of it. Nice. And I'll definitely include your Facebook page of you, you and Devin and the Instagram stuff. So people can go to the show notes on this podcast and follow you guys as well. Um, so you guys can get some more followers that way. And we'll be waiting for the YouTube channel to come out um, with Thank the video you. editing and stuff like that. For your sure. inspiration. I just watched your Instagram. You have so many videos. My God. <laughs> so much content. That's, that's I'm trying. what you want to do. For sure. Like it's, it's really interesting following other entrepreneurs and seeing like the amount of content that they push out. The one lady that I've been watching recently, her name is Vanessa Lau. Uh, it's an Asian girl out of Vancouver and she's just been crushing it and killing it. And just watching the way she puts out her content on Instagram stories and then Instagram and then the podcast and then YouTube. It's like, it's all in sync, all on her brand. Or is this something else? What'd you say? Is this dance or something else? No, she's just an entrepreneur and she like, Oh, I see. She sells like a coaching academy or, or something like that on social media. But just from like a entrepreneur uh, perspective, like it's just really awesome to see her brand, how it spreads out across those different um, social media platforms, you know? And so that kind of inspires me or gives me at least a goal to like follow along and let me try to do what she's doing, you know? All right, brother. What you got for us for the for the inspiration from the dance nerd? So the inspiration from the dance nerd is something that he himself cannot follow. And that is to do not wait to become a master to begin. Begin to become a master. I really love this quote because it sort of pinpoints my problems. Mm. And every time I just begin, I've succeeded. And it's, it's never... I've never not succeeded by being so what am I so afraid of <laughs> my brain exactly for sure and I think sometimes like hearing these quotes over and over again or speaking to a person or journaling like it just helps you like get your mind around those things sometimes to get past those 
those barriers, you know? So I think it's completely normal uh, what you're feeling. Like I can definitely relate to the way that you've been feeling at different points in my dance career. And sometimes you just have to like pencil it in and just like, hey, let's get it done. And like, this is going to be the best I'm going to do today. And I'm going to continue versus like, oh, I'm going to do it once. And it's just going to be this grand masterpiece. And then that'll be it, you know, but uh, yeah, there's another is really helpful. Uh, mm kicking my ass into gear you know so thank yeah. you <laughs> for sure it reminds me of the one quote that says the um, the master has failed more times than the beginner has even tried you know oh, yeah. so that's a, a really nice one as well to like hey it's okay if you mess up like failure is part of the process as well to like try to get things off the ground you know I, I love to blame my Asianness for this but I think it's <laughs> international <laughs> but we, we were really like <laughs> we've been ingrained to like take the safe path mm. on lives, you know? it's not even like it's not even like my parents did that to me it's more like i hear so much about other parents <laughs> my parents <laughs> never did this to me my parents are like you can do whatever you want and i was like wait but but that's so just choices. the overarching asian parents yeah i'm just floating around yeah <laughs> yeah i hear you yeah all right, brother. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to sit and have a chat. It was awesome to get to sit and chat Same. with you. Good and I look forward to those classes coming out soon, yeah? Yeah, thank you. All right, brother. Have a good day. Have a good day. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey.